Official talks between Ukraine and Russia, they began earlier today in Belarus with the hopes of bringing this invasion to an end, some sort of conclusion. We are hearing that uh, talks broke off after some six hours. And of course, uh, those talks were held as war continues to rage on. This is the fifth day of the campaign, which began last Thursday after Russian President Vladimir Putin ordered a full-scale attack on Ukraine. And these uh, talks held with the aim of an immediate ceasefire and a top advisor to Ukraine's president saying here today, this afternoon, that uh, the meeting and uh, the meeting went, you know, all right, but the more talks uh, are going to take place and could happen uh, soon. Now, these talks, of course, uh, happen as a strict worldwide sanctions have been put in place. Canada announcing that we are prohibiting all Canadian financial institutions from engaging in any transactions with Russia's central bank. This after over the weekend, we learned that the U.S., the EU, and others, they have cut off a number of Russian banks from the SWIFT payment system. And for more on that, to get some clarity, we thought we would welcome in Ian Lee from the Sprott School of Business at Carleton University, who joins us here now. Ian, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Appreciate the time, as always. Uh, let's start, if we could, just, yeah, with the basics here. For those that don't know, what exactly is SWIFT, the SWIFT payment system, and who owns it? Um, think of it as a, uh, a nonprofit association. Um, it's not uh, owned by anybody. It's owned by the members. So I guess you could say it's like the Credit Union Central of Ontario, in a sense. It's the, uh, I think it's 11,000 financial members. But I don't want to go into the weeds. The easiest way to think of SWIFT is it is the clearing system internationally between companies. So let's say, because a lot of Canadians uh, are customers of Enbridge, I am. Let's pretend Enbridge was in Europe and they were buying natural gas from Russia because Russia ships and sells natural gas to Germany. So it's bought by companies. So now they owe money to somebody, Gazprom, in Russia. So a company in Russia sells natural gas to a company in Germany. Now the company in Germany has to pay for it. SWIFT is merely the, call it the payment technology. Think of it as a sort of a payment technology that allows for the very, very fast, very safe, very secure transmission of money digitally. There's no checks involved, no pieces of paper here. It's all digital. And you're I owe you money, except that, you know, I just paid my Enbridge bill, by the way, yesterday on the weekend, digitally. I went into my bank and told my bank, debit my bank account, and send this amount of money to, 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 to Enbridge, which I did. So it's All the right, same so, idea. The same yeah, idea. okay, so because it's a clearinghouse, and uh, as you just uh, described it there, uh, Ian, is that what uh, makes this ban so serious, that this really does immediately cut off money yeah. and uh, payment? Absolutely. Um, you just hit it on the head. And let me just remind, this probably will be of more benefit to older people. Once upon a time, younger people won't remember, know this because it was before their time, once upon a time, forever and ever, until maybe 20 years ago, we used to pay our bills with physical pieces of paper called checks. Checks, IOU. I got my paycheck from my company every two weeks. They deliver a paycheck to you, a physical check written on paper. And then you'd trundle off to the bank and deposit it in your bank account in the 1970s, the 1980s. And only did we really go into, let's call it digital banking, which we all do now. Our paycheck is deposited electronically. I don't know anybody who gets a physical check anymore. 
Our mortgage payment or our rent payment goes through digitally. We pay our bills digitally. We use our ATM, which is digital. We pay on our credit card, which is digital. You're not issuing a piece of paper to anybody. You're just waving a card at a machine. Okay. Before that, though, you had to pay physically. <laughs> you carried a physical paper called a check into somebody. And so what they're doing to Russia is they're making Russia, I'm not going to say they're going back to the 10th century. No, no, no. They're forcing Russia from the 21st century digital banking system around the world. They're forcing them back into the 1980s when they transferred money with fax machines. Imagine. Or telephones. I am not making this up. I'm a former banker from the 70s and early 80s. I used to work in a bank. That's how you did it. And then we came up with this SWIFT system, which is incredibly secure, incredibly safe, because you have to get vetted to join it. You just don't, you know, nobody can just show up and say, hey, I want into this. You get checked out, you get investigated, you get vetted, you get given a special code, and then only those companies can do it. And so it's really efficient. And it's really fantastic. You can All right. So are, are these the sanctions? Yeah. Is this sanction then, do you think, when you talk about it, uh, you know, being really efficient and immediate, uh, SWIFT, uh, the banking system or the payment system, is this sanction regarding SWIFT, is it going to be similarly efficient when it comes to maybe having an impact or the greatest impact on Russian President Putin and Russia as a whole, do you think? Um, I, I don't pretend to be inside the head of President Putin, to be honest. But if you're asking a slightly different question, will this impact the ordinary Russian? Absolutely. How so? It's going. It's causing the ruble to collapse as we speak, and because people can't settle their bills, and so people are trying to get out of rubles really fast into U.S. dollars and euros. Well, if you got way too many people trying to sell rubles, okay, what are you going to do? You're driving it down. You're 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 deflating it. You're making it go down in value. So what? Well. Cold countries, and we're one of them, we don't grow fruit and vegetables in January in Ottawa. There's too many snow, too much snow on the ground. Same with Russia. So what do they do? They import food, and you pay imported food in the foreign currency. Now the currency's gone down 20%. It could go down more. It could go down 40 or 50%. What will that do to every individual person in Russia? It will cause their cost of groceries to go through the roof. It'll also mean, by cutting them out of SWIFT, they can't use the credit cards anymore because they're cut out of the banking system, and the Russian banks are part of the international banking system. So they can't use their credit cards. And so it's going to cause some, it's already widely predicted there will be some Russian bank failures in Russia. There's a rush on the ATMs to get money out while the money's still there. It's going to induce, most likely, a significant recession in Russia. This is going to hurt millions of ordinary Russian people who are going to start asking questions, I think, why is this happening to me? Just because Putin wanted to go and invade a country that are our cousins? Remember, there's very close ties between the Russians and the Ukrainians. And for a long time, just like there is between Canada and the United States, there's lots of Canadians who've moved to the States or have married, my own sister married an American, very common. And All right, so Ian, if this is going to really impact, uh, impact sorry, the average uh, Russian and really hurt the Russian uh, economy, Similarly, uh, could this uh, ban of uh, Russia from the SWIFT payment system, is it going to have any significant impacts, do you think, on the overall economy, on the global economy? Uh, very little. And, and again, I'll explain with just big picture numbers. Russia, for all the fact that it's big, a big country, 11 time zones, and a, you know, a pretty bad dude there running it, um, it's a very tiny economy, 1.5 trillion GDP. People would say, so what? 
That's smaller than the GDP of the state of Texas. That's smaller than the GDP of Canada. So financially, they're very small. And the impact is going to be borne by Europe and Canada and the U.S., the Western countries. And the GDP collectively of the Western countries is, depending on which countries you include, if you throw in Japan and South Korea, uh, and of course all of Europe and U.S. and Canada, it's about 55 trillion GDP. So the losses were very, very deep, very rich countries, very deep, broadly diversified, very deep amounts of wealth. And so there may be some small bank failures in Europe, but we have the institutions in place to deal with it. We have bank deposit insurance in all these countries, Canada, U.S., Europe. And so the losses will be diffused or spread over large numbers of people, and they're very wealthy countries. Where we will be hit, I'm not trying to say that there's no cost to us. I'm not saying that. There will be a cost to us, all of us, including Canadians. We're going to see the price of oil go through the roof because of the uncertainty. And I would not be shocked, I will not be shocked, if we see $2 a liter by, let's say, April, May. Be, uh, because of the uncertainty caused, and remember, Russia is one of the three largest countries in the world for oil and gas reserves. Small economy GDP, but large reserves of oil and natural gas, which everybody in the world uses. And that's going to push the price of oil up. And so the impact on all of us here in Canada, we've got enormous amounts of oil and natural gas if we choose to use it. But the effect that we will see, the impact we will experience right up close and personal, is every time you fill up your car. And I wouldn't be shocked if it hits $2 a liter, as I said, by the early summer. All right. Just finally, Ian, when it comes to uh, sanctions, and we've watched this unfold uh, fairly quickly in uh, real time, uh, are there any economic sanctions left? Are there any levers uh, left to be pulled uh, when it comes to Russia? There are. Um, They have not sanctioned all the oligarchs, including Canada. We've uh, sanctioned a small number. And there's a significant number. The oligarch is just the Russian word for billionaires. So they got a lot of billionaires. And we've only sanctioned a small number of them. And we haven't yet, yet, seized their assets. And apparently the European Union is looking at all their, their lawyers, are looking at laws and regulations, because it has to be done according to the rule of law. And uh, they're looking, I mean, they have over there, they have castles in England and, and yachts at Saint-Tropez and the south of France and the Mediterranean. I mean, the oligarchs like to, they, they have all their toys and, you know, their expensive properties and boats and luxury cars and all that stuff. And they're in England and they're in France and Germany and Switzerland and Austria and, and so forth. And so they're looking at going after them, which will really hurt them because the oligarchs are the political base of Putin. They have not yet closed the embassies around the world. We haven't kicked out the Russian ambassador and closed down the, sta- the, the embassy. Neither have the Germans, neither have the other countries. So there's still things that they can do, and they haven't closed down all the banks from the SWIFT system. They've been very selective. Certain banks were designated. They've been very targeted. So they haven't completely closed down the Russian economy. They put a lot of pain, and there is going to be real serious pain on individual Russians, because the groceries are going to go through the roof, and they can't access their cash, and they can't use their credit cards, and they're going to suffer financially. But but there's still more things that they can do. They can go after the rest of the oligarchs, as I said. They can start seizing assets and properties in Europe and in UK, and they can start, uh, you know, things like that. They they haven't announced any um, prosecutions for uh, any kind of violations of international law. I'm thinking of war crimes types of uh, uh, penalties. 
So I think that they've still got uh, some things that they can do. There's more uh, squeeze that they can announce yet on on Russia um, uh, uh, as a consequence of the invasion. All right. I got to leave it there for now. Ian, appreciate the time as always, and thanks so much for breaking this down for us. My pleasure. Thank you. All right. We'll talk again. There is Ian Lee from the Sprott School of Business at Carleton University. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.